You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we discuss future classics as they're coming out. Uh, today's movie is going to be Elvis, the latest movie by Baz Luhrmann. It is about the life of Elvis Presley. Probably, you know, probably could have guessed that from the title, but just in case, there you go. Uh, there is very near the end... I do spoil the ending of the movie, I guess, but like this is a biopic. Uh, first off, you know what happens. I'm sorry to say this, but Elvis is no longer alive. Um, and beyond that, there are really no major spoilers in this movie. It is pretty, or in this episode, it is pretty spoiler free. We're going to start by talking a lot about Baz Luhrmann's career, uh, then we're going to get right into the movie. And before that, I'm going to play you some music, but uh, I don't think I'm going to play Elvis music. This is going to be uh, a Doja Cat song from the movie Elvis. This is going to be Vegas. That's what you're hearing right now. of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, uh, the pre-recorded show where we talk about uh, soon-to-be classic movies. Um, Pierre, we actually had a shout-out the other day on a, um, on, on a different podcast, and it's always fun to me to hear like how people describe our podcast on other podcasts, because mm. they're never wrong. It's just, you know, I'm always the one describing it here, or you, and like we know our own opinions. Yeah. So it's it's kind of fun to hear other people say. So they're just um, you hear them hear it say yeah. and they're like, Hey, you've heard of that that shit show of a podcast? <laughs> Classic <laughs> well, I mean, live and you're like, Oh, I guess we're very, well, I don't know if we're necessarily lucky. So far, I've never heard anyone describe our podcast as like a shit show or anything, which is nice. But like, realistically, if they were going to do that, they wouldn't do that on their own podcast, right? Like, they're not going to shout out something they think is awful. So, yeah, maybe we only have nice friends. Yeah, I, I guess that would, that would be a kind of an odd thing to do. Um, I'm biased biased friends the best but yeah friends. actually uh in in relation to that if i remember they 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 brought up on on their show that uh are the point of this show which we come back to every now and then like we uh try to you know identify movies as future classics as they're coming out and like 
Um, it's a gimmick that like we we come back to it every now and then, but we, we don't uh, we don't do that for well, it's not it's not a part of every episode, but you know it kind of should be. It's it's always there. It's implicit, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think now that I've said it, hopefully I won't forget it. I wanna I wanna come back to that at the end of this episode because I think that uh, the movie we're talking about today, it's um, there's definitely a lot to talk about, and maybe maybe that is in a way that. Uh, makes it worth me bringing that, that back at the end. I just like got done with my work day, so I'm so I'm, I'm like so done with words. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that that's the that's the way I felt after watching this movie because <laughs> I'm gonna be. It's like this isn't a comment on if it's good or bad yet, but this movie is a lot. Um, yeah. It's uh, very maximalist. Uh, this we're talking about the Elvis biopic. I think it's just called Elvis. Just called Elvis. Um, directed by Baz Luhrmann, starring uh, Tom Hanks and Austin Butler. Um, I think they're like they're technically both the leads, right? Like, I think if like, this movie were if this movie's mm-hmm. campaigning for Oscars, I think they'll campaign Tom Hanks as a supporting role. Mm-hmm. But like Tom Hanks is. No, I would say Austin Butler's definitely the lead. Like, Tom Hanks, you could say, is a second lead, but if we're getting into second leads, that's a supporting. Yeah, well, I guess he's just, he's billed equally to Austin Butler, I think. Yeah. Um, And I th- I'd say he has a comparative amount of screen time, but... Um, yeah, it's comparative. Yeah, I definitely, like, if Tom Hanks wants a shot, he'd, he'd probably be put in supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a lot. Like, Baz Luhrmann... We talked about him once on the Leo podcast. Uh, where we we talked about the. I think it's a very infamous movie, um, Romeo and Juliet, which I actually I think I remember really liking. I loved it. That was like I think in the of all the Leo movies we watched, that was either my favorite or my second favorite behind Titanic. No, yeah, it was it was in my top three. It was like Titanic, um, Titanic, Romeo and Juliet, and Inception. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say Inception. You gave like a nine, right? So it was also that good. that's the only ten out of yeah, ten okay. I gave on that. Podcast. Oh, okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we have some experience with them. I I think I've seen that, and then I've seen The Great Gatsby at some point. Oh no, did we talk? We talked. We did. We talked oh, about wow, The Great Gatsby. With... So we have two. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Um. So yeah, we we have you know some experience. Not to brag or anything, but. Um. Yeah, we have. Have you seen the rest of his movies? I was just checking really quickly to make sure I'm not missing anything. I don't. He doesn't see. Okay, he hasn't actually directed. Great Gatsby was his last movie. That's his most kind of surprising one, yeah. to me. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I just assumed he was doing a lot. He was doing stuff that I just hadn't heard of. Well, he did a TV show after The Great Gatsby called The Get Down, which was like, it's a miniseries, so it's basically just a long movie, but I haven't yeah. seen that. <laughs> I feel like that was in the era, 2016, that was like the era of Netflix would literally approve out anything. Um, it was like right before that, because that was where Netflix, like, because that was around, that was like peak House of Cards time. That was just mm. before House of Cards got like into hot water. And yeah. I would say that the House of Cards controversy is probably where Netflix originals kind of went off the deep end for the first time. Mm, like they kind of started panicking, you know, like 
and they stopped like promoting things and like they would just approve everything and that's where you got that might have been shortly after that is where you got the first kissing booth movie which you know is a classic (laughs) but it's a classic of a certain kind we're bound to talk about it eventually here i hope so Um, actually i hope not i've seen it once and i don't want to see it again (laughs) um but yeah he has a very sparse filmography uh actually like considering i'd say considering how kind of famous he is Mm -hmm. or well well known he is at least in like within like film fan groups um but yeah he's uh so i guess we've seen half his filmography already um have you seen moulin rouge or australia no i haven't i guess i I guess that would be more than half of it yeah those are the ones that uh, those are the other ones i've seen moulin rouge is like I don't know if I like Romeo and Juliet or Moulin Rouge better, but Moulin Rouge is like, it is one of his best, if not his best movie. And then Australia is fine. Yeah, no, I've heard, I've heard of Moulin Rouge before. Um, I don't know anything about it, but I, I feel like it's, it's pretty kind of famous too. I don't know. So yeah, I haven't really seen, I've heard of Moulin Rouge. I haven't really seen anything else. Um, but I mean, like just seeing two of his movies already, I feel like, cause he has such a unique, um, character that he adds to his movies that like, you can just tell, like, it, it just really feels very Baz Luhrmann. And I think that's like, I mean, I've, we've talked about what makes a good director before, and I feel like we both agreed on one of the biggest things was really injecting your own style and personality into a movie to make you feel like defined right and that's definitely something Baz Luhrmann can do I know that we we talked about this with Coda a little bit I think that Coda was well directed but it's really passive and Baz Luhrmann you can say a lot of things about Baz Luhrmann but the one thing you could never accuse him of is being a passive director like he's one of the most active directors yeah Um, and I think that like I think that worked really well in a movie like Romeo and Juliet, where I think it was just like such a, it's such a timeless tale that it, that that kind of really, he really went out there with it. So that really odd mm-hmm. and different take on it was like very refreshing. Uh, for yeah. Me, that's like, why I really liked it. Romeo and Juliet's been around for 300 years. Everyone has seen Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Not everyone has seen Baz <laughs> Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because it's like that different, right? Yeah, it's not just like a modern retelling. It's 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 so weird that he's like he's literally taking the script. He's he's basically adapting the same script, right? But yeah. he's, he's Oh, he doesn't fitting, change any words. Yeah, but he's like molding the modern world around it to fit the script in such weird ways like I mean the the most the first thing in my mind goes to was like he called wasn't swords were like basically a, a make of gun or i don't know if it was swords but well like anytime they mention a sword or a knife or any kind of blade in the script they when what they show on screen is a gun and i yeah. think like i think that i i could be wrong but uh I'm pretty sure that like each reference, each bladed weapon is like a different type of gun. Yeah. yeah. Like anytime they talk about a sword, it's like a specific type of gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was like really trippy. Um, I don't think what he did with the great Gatsby though, really stuck as well with me just because it felt like he, um, 
that felt more like he was adapting, trying to adapt it too closely to or faithfully to the story without, but also injecting a lot of himself into it, if that makes sense. Um, so it felt kind of confused. The Great Gatsby is like a story about extreme wealth and opulence anyway. And he's doing that. And like, but in order to get that same, he's trying to like inject himself in it to sort of, and inject like little pieces to like show that wealth and opulence from a modern lens, but he's still adapting a story about the twenties. So like it doesn't, it, the anachronistic elements don't quite fit. Yeah. Especially when you had, I think, I think Jay Z was like a producer on that movie, right? So he I think, did the soundtrack at least functionally. Like yeah, most of the soundtrack was Jay Z songs. I me- I remember it feeling very confusing to have like a relatively, like, um, faithful adaptation to the Great Gatsby while hearing like "Watch the Throne" in the background, <laughs> like a, yeah. a very. I mean, like it's it's a hip-hop album that i guess fits the themes of the movie but also it it felt very like off tone um and that's that's the part of it is just like i i think it worked better in romeo and juliet because he was so forcefully bringing it into the present whereas the great gatsby was he was like he was telling a a an old story but injecting modern themes into it and injecting modern like directing into it and it just felt very odd yeah, I think confused is probably a good word there. Yeah, but it was definitely, like, memorable. Well, it was, okay, it was mostly boring, but in some ways I think it was kind of memorable. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's mostly known for, like, having Leo and Toby in the same movie for some reason. That's why it sticks out to me. There's not, well, okay, there's not that many Leo and Toby movies, but they are good friends. Like, we're going to eventually talk about another movie that they're both in, which I'm really excited for. Yeah, well, that's uh, when they were, like, younger, right? I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that's, so that's kind of what I what I like always seen it as. Um, so then we kind of come to the Elvis Elvis where he's once again like, I guess it's this is also a past like he's he's telling a story from the past, but in a biopic form, which I gotta say I was I was pretty surprised to to hear he wanted to tackle something like this. But also I feel like his style mixed with Elvis kind of made sense i don't know i think it's um so i don't know how many musical biopics you've seen but like not many (laughs) musical biopics have a whole format like they're a whole genre and it's and in general they are so boring like Mm. have you ever seen the movie walk hard no okay so walk hard is a john c Riley movie and it is like it so thoroughly tears down the idea of musical biopics. It's basically a parody of the movie Walk the Line, which was a biopic about Johnny Cash starring Joaquin Phoenix. Mm. Um, But like, it parodies every part of it. Uh, It parodies like every part of the format of musical biopics so well that straight up after that movie, there is no reason to make a musical biopic if you're just going to fit into the same format. Because like every musical biopic, they start it. They start with their abusive childhood. They like. Um, there's one scene where someone gets an idea for a song, and then the next scene is them singing the song. They're about to go on stage. They have to think of their entire life before they go on stage. There's like <laughs> uh, near the end, they have the fall, and they start doing random 
huge things because they're too big to fail, but it doesn't work out because they aren't actually too big to fail. They're just excessive and full of drugs. And like, there's all of these things that, it, that Dewey, that um, walk hard just like takes apart so masterfully that anything after walk hard, anytime I'm watching a musical biopic, I am immediately comparing it to walk hard. And like, most of them are just bad because they do the exact same things that walk hard is like, if you do this, it's been done a million times. There's no point. No one cares about this. And so um, anytime I hear about a musical biopic, the one thing that I'm always, the one thing that can excite me about a musical biopic is if it has like interesting creatives attached to it. Like, um, and like Baz Luhrmann is definitely that. I've seen Baz Luhrmann movies. I've seen Baz Luhrmann's style. And like, I don't know, going before Elvis, I don't know what Baz Luhrmann's musical biopic would be like, but I know that it wouldn't be the same as Walk the Line or Bohemian Rhapsody, or if you've seen it, Last Year's Respect, which was an Aretha Franklin biopic. Like, it's not going to be those. It's going to be something that has Baz Luhrmann's signature all over it. Yeah, it's uh, which I guess is just I would I would describe it as a very maximalist hyper style of directing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, which again, I I think might was I thought was interesting to see paired with Elvis because he was a very I guess bigger than life character, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which I guess the movie or not sorry I shouldn't say character. He was a I mean he, there's I I guess the movie also kind of goes into like who is Elvis and like his, his stage, like his stage personality and like at home personality. So um, mm -hmm. in a way it was a character, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know what, what did you, uh, do, do we want to talk about what the movie's about? I mean, it's just about Elvis. I don't know. It it's, just... <laughs> it's Elvis. It yeah. starts as, with him as a, we get flashbacks to him as a kid, but really it starts when he's like, I want to say 16 doing um, blue suede shoes, maybe like the, from the time he starts, he records his first album to his death. And like, that's, that's the main plot of the movie is yeah. Elvis's life. I think where it comes in and becomes where it's a little bit more interesting. If you happen to know a lot about Elvis's life, which I didn't. So I'm a little bit projecting here. Cause I don't know if this is actually, uh, the, the interesting part of it. But one of the interesting parts for me is um, this talks a lot about Elvis's manager, the Colonel Tom Parker mm -hmm. played by Tom Hanks in this um, in a, as you said, build equally with Austin Butler. So like this really talks about the effect that Colonel Tom Parker had on Elvis's career on Elvis as a person and I think that's, for me, the interesting angle coming in because I didn't know very much about Elvis going in anyway. But, like, I definitely didn't know that there was another guy involved who was who had as big of an effect as at least this movie wants us to believe that Colonel Tom Parker did. Yeah, I, uh, like, going into this, I, I just want to clarify, I also basically knew nothing about Elvis. I think I, like, I've listened to a few of his songs that I really like. Um, mm. And I think he's an amazing artist, but yeah, I don't really know him that well. Other than that, he like died early. I keep there's this big rumor early. This big, there's this big thing where it's 
I keep hearing was like Elvis died on the toilet or something. Um, I don't know if that's, know if that's actually true or not. <clears throat> yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, they, well, they don't show that in the movie, I guess. Yeah. That's a spoiler. But yeah, um, I think it was having it be done from the colonel's perspective was actually, I thought it was actually a pretty bold like choice creatively. Um, whether or not you could say that was entirely respectful towards like Elvis's like to Elvis himself, like maybe not. Um, but like, I think really? how, how so that's, um, I'm very curious. I just say like having, having the man who kind of like supposedly in this movie screwed over his life, be such a big presence in his biopic and essentially narrate it from his point of view. You could, I could see as being disrespectful. Um, okay. Even though he I, is seen in a very negative light from the start, he is very much the villain of this movie. Yeah, I, I, I'd say it's more like just the amount of presence he had in the movie. That yeah, sense. fair. Um, even though, like, I think if you look into it, like, uh, from what I can tell, Elvis was just not a very smart man in terms of the business side of things. Um. But yeah, anyways, we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting choice that really set it apart from the other movies we've seen. And it just kind of mm-hmm. gave it a more like artistic lens, oddly enough. Um, and I thought like Tom Hanks was pretty good in the role. Um, I, I saw some criticism online with like, I think with like his accent and stuff or kind of he he played it a little cartoonishly like he was very much like play playing a villain and he wasn't trying to play it straight or anything like he he felt pretty evil the whole time um mm-hmm. but i actually i thought it was really well done and oh i never thought i could hate like tom hanks that's what that was the no, cool I, part i've like that that might be the hot take of the episode because like um, I, I agree. I've heard a lot of criticism of Tom Hanks in this role. Like, he's a cartoon. He's really bad. Whatever. No, I think he was awesome in this role. I think he played a perfect villain. And I think the fact that Tom Hanks is usually so likable really worked against him here. Like, not worked against him, but worked to make his performance more um, Impressive. despicable. Like, he was... He was he played a really evil character, but he played it not even subtle. Like he's very over the top evil, but he's actually not like, I don't know. He, he felt both real and like a cartoon. Like he felt believe like a believable mustache twirling villain. Like you use mustache twirling to talk about someone that's like extremely over the top evil. And like, they are a cartoon, but he felt like both that and a person that could really exist in this. Yeah. Like, this was not a bad performance. I think that it's over the top in exactly the ways it tries to be. And I kind of think Tom Hanks knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I think it all worked. I mean, like, like the man himself, from what I can tell, seemed to be... I mean, what he did, what, what he was doing was just straight up kind of evil in some ways. So um... Yeah, I mean, he's basically just exploiting... He's exploiting Elvis for his entire life. I guess once again, I should clarify, most of what I know about Elvis comes from this movie. Yes. So I'm judging this. So like when I say it. he's, ex- yeah, when I'm 
when I'm when I say he's exploiting Elvis for all of his life, that may or may not be true for the real thing. I am talking about the movie here. Yeah, that's what that's what's pretty tough about the biopics when they like try to set up a straight up villain. Like I remember with the Social Network, there was like a lot of discussion of like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg is like like a terrible person and like he he betrayed his friends like and uh but when in actuality like oh okay i don't know like i don't know if he's the greatest person but in actuality i don't know mark zuckerberg is kind of a villain he's just not well like he's not not a script villain yeah not in the way the movie the movie made him portrayed the events a lot differently than they actually happened to make the movie better right and i think it's yeah potentially like the same thing in this movie so it's well i mean it's tough to to uh to to be non-biased when talking about these people now that we've seen the movie. I mean, all right, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think that's that's kind of a problem with that's a problem with biopics. It's not actually a problem. It's just a problem with interpreting like biopics and movies because the way that we as humans like to consume stories is stories with a clear narrative with characters we can understand, stuff like that. The thing is, that's not how humans work. So when someone has to write a biopic about Mark Zuckerberg, they have to turn Mark Zuckerberg into a character. When someone wants to write a biopic about Elvis, they have to turn Elvis into a character. Depending on who that person is that they're writing the movie about, that can be potentially very easy or very difficult. But like, when we're talking about Elvis or Colonel Tom Parker in this movie... We're not actually talking about real Elvis or real Colonel Tom Parker. And we never could because Mm -hmm. these people had decades of real life experience and like internal thoughts that we will never hear about. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. It's just like, I don't know. It's, you know, when we look at a biopic, like when we look at a biopic or when we interpret something like that, yeah, our villains are going to be cartoonish. The main characters are going to be overly simplistic because that's makes for a more compelling story right yeah i kind of wish they would like put a disclaimer at the start maybe to be like hey just keep in mind like please do your own research and don't just rely on this movie to to make up all your opinions about these people but i think that would also take a lot of people out of the movie well definitely would yeah well because especially i think people want to believe that this stuff actually happened so that they can like their feelings are validated if that makes sense but Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I feel bad because we, we talked about Tom Hanks. I thought Austin Butler. Um, I think he's definitely going to be up for an Academy nomination. Um, this is this is the first movie I've seen this year where I am one hundred percent certain I've seen an Oscar like nominee. Mm-hmm. There's he, plenty of movies I've seen this year where I'm like, oh, probably, but like this is the one where I'm like, this is. Austin Butler will be nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. Yeah. I would bet almost anything on it. And he deserves he was, it. Like, he's so good. He was really great. I, I think the... Like, Elvis is... I, I feel like... Again, he's so much larger than life. Then you could, like... Like, he's such a big presence. And I, I feel like he he really grounded it while also still giving off that that energy of like you're looking at someone that isn't i don't i don't like is extraordinary if that makes sense or believes he is extraordinary and people are treating him that way um yeah well and like maybe this sounds cliche but while still 
feeling like a real person as well. Yeah, like, like you felt he felt larger crazy. than life, but it's like you can't you can relate to this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it felt like I was um, like watch. It's like I was there like watching the news and seeing Elvis on TV rather than like a biopic, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, again, because I I think it might have helped that like like I don't I don't know much about Elvis. I haven't seen much of Elvis's like actual personality. Um, and I doubt many people have, but like, cause like, I feel like maybe his character might be exaggerated and like the act, cause he, he was very consistent. I noticed he was, he was much more consistent with like how he was on stage, like his voice, you know, like even his voice was like, he had a very Elvisy voice. I don't know how else to say mm-hmm. it. Um, and I thought like, I thought maybe like that would be more of a stage voice, but he actually kept it the whole time. And I thought it actually worked really well too. Like it never felt like, mm-hmm. like overdone or like phony in any way. But like, obviously Austin Butler was playing a character, but it never felt like Elvis was playing a character. Like there wasn't a stage Elvis versus a real person Elvis. It was like the same guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At all times. Um, I think, um, Maybe the most important to this. So I don't know if I told you this, but anyway, when I went and saw Elvis, uh, Baz Luhrmann and Austin Butler were there. And um, they, like, did a Q&A in front of, right before the movie. And the um, the most important thing that Baz Luhrmann said when casting Austin Butler is, uh, Elvis is the most impersonated man in the world. Like, there are more Elvis impersonators than obviously than there were Elvis, but like more than more Elvis impersonators than there are impersonators for just about any other person. And he never felt like Austin Butler was doing an impersonation. Like he got, he, I don't know exactly who, but he got some, you know, he would, he looked at some audition tapes and it's like, this person is impersonating Elvis. He's doing the mannerisms. He's like studied the, you know, he studied the, um, the stage show he knows all the moves which is great but like austin butler was playing the character he wasn't trying to do an impression mm-hmm. yeah i uh like i think it maybe if you saw like one scene from this movie like without context you could just read off his performance as like what you said a uh, an impersonation impression. but yeah like uh, yeah. watching the movie front to back you you get really sync into the role and you feel, mm-hmm. and you feel like, yeah, you feel he's there. So, yeah, he was he was really great, and I can't believe they picked. Like, I, I haven't really seen him. I mean, I saw he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I couldn't really tell you who he was. I think it was maybe the guy riding the horse, or maybe? something that like chase that was like, and then he went to, to the Manson oh! thing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he said it says he was Tex Watson, so one of the. <laughs> One of the Manson family, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, I couldn't tell you if, if that was a good performance or not. Um, so it's, I mean, it's it pretty crazy. it was barely a performance. There just wasn't that much of it. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy that they would they would pick someone so relatively unknown, again, as Elvis, and put him at this as the star of this biopic. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that also helped, too, just because, like, I was never comparing him to, like, him, like, as an actor. I don't know him at all. So I think yeah. that definitely helped it. So um, it was much easier to see Elvis. I wonder if like may- maybe it'll be tougher to not see Elvis later. Who knows? Um, yeah. Anyways, no, he was 
he was really great. And I think he really helped center and ground the movie because other than his performance, the movie was just, it was, again, I said it before, it was just a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to necessarily say that it was bad or it was good because of it, but it, it just felt like a lot of, like, a lot, Baz Luhrmann shoved a lot at the audience. Um, so, and I, I feel like even though, because it's tough, he, he could have picked maybe a more concrete timeline for what he was doing. Um, but again, it's a biopic, so it's like really hard to like decide on what to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be the best way to do a biopic. Who knows? Well, this movie is two hours and 40 minutes, and the first two hours and 20 minutes of it feel so fast. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I like it was it was really fast paced and like obviously I hate it when a movie is two hours and 40 minutes and it feels the whole length but this felt almost too fast for for the first two hours like this movie starts with a montage and it goes into another montage (laughs) and then there's a third montage this movie plays out almost as if in montage yeah well yeah that's the thing it just keeps going and going and then I think that really does affect, like, maybe it was on purpose because, like, in, like, some weird artsy way he wanted you to feel kind of bored at the end because that's how Elvis felt. Like, he felt very trapped. <laughs> that's kind of how I felt watching the end of the movie just because, like, yeah, it, it does keep going. But then once it slows down, I feel like you're all of a sudden you're just really tired and you just, like, kind of want to get it over with. And then it mm-hmm. feels like the movie just kind of keeps going and going for, like, another... 20 30 minutes um until it ends so like i think that really does affect it because like baz lerman he, he's telling like the whole from the minute elvis got his manager and was like kind of like you know he was performing to crowds to his death um mm-hmm. and even a little after his death i think right because we had the the narrate narration done by the colonel um yeah so yeah i i personally don't love because i biopics i think are much better can like i think the social networks are great it's because it's not even a biopic it's just like a telling of events of someone's life it's just a story from someone's it's life it's more a biopic about facebook than a, than about mark zuckerberg sort of well yeah like this the founding yeah. of facebook um whereas this like i think there's so many interesting themes that the movie brings in that it has no time to spend on because it is just going the whole time so like every mm-hmm. time you have something interesting brought up like i thought like at first like his relationship with the with like um his mom was interesting but then that's kind of passed over really quickly and his uh like this is something i didn't know but like how he was a very big presence in um i guess i don't know how to say it he was he was a big representation of bringing african-american like music and style to white people basically because he was white Um, yeah i know that's actually something that like gets a little bit of um i think that at least i've talked to some friends about it and that gets like a little bit of elvis gets a little bit of flack for that like he stole music from black artists and brought it and you know he owes his entire existence to black artists and i think that 
I, I can't comment that much on what the real Elvis thought of that, but this movie certainly positions him as someone who very much knew that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is important to like, in the historical context, at the time that Elvis was, was you know, doing music, um, segregation was in full force. And so like, a lot of white families, you know, the, the kids could not listen to black music because no one would let them. And so, like, there's an entire audience, like the mainstream American audience wasn't hearing black music. And so, yes, you can make the argument and you wouldn't be wrong to make the argument that Elvis and uh, people like, gosh, I can't remember his name. I'll keep it at Elvis, that people like Elvis were, you know, owed their existence to black music and that they were sort of taking that music and just giving it to a new audience. But the thing is, um, that audience needed to hear that music. And so, and like at the time, if you didn't have white artists doing that, that audience, the white audience wasn't going to hear that music. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Elvis gave credit where credit was due at the time, because like I said, most of what I know is from this movie, which definitely positions him as someone who would. Yeah. I can't speak to whether or not he did, but like, it's important to have that like surrogate between. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh like, I, I don't think the movie shied away from it. Um. Mm-hmm. Because there, I I thought it was interesting that there were like, there there was a montage where you would have um, black singers singing a song that that was basically an Elvis song, and then it, it, I mean it wasn't telling you that he was taking their music, uh, but it, I guess it kind of just showed through well, the narrative that the he way was that adapting the... their music for himself. Yeah, the way that the movie sort of positioned it is like you would get that one song, uh, that one. Um, I remember oh hearing Hound Dog. Yes, what is her name? Um, her name was Big Mama Thornton. So like you get a you get a scene of Big Mama Thornton singing Hound Dog, and shortly after that is Elvis singing Hound Dog, and like what it what the movie sort of the movie is really interested in the holistic experience of music, I think. So like it shows where it shows that Elvis without necessarily showing Elvis literally going up to big mama Thornton and saying, can I use your music? Which I don't know if he, I don't know if he did at all, but like the, um, without showing that the movie is really interested in showing like, how different artists are influenced by each other. So like, mm-hmm. it'll show that and then it'll go into Elvis doing that. And there later on, there's a montage, which is, um, which has like, I think it's Elvis. It might be Elvis on tour and it's showing like Elvis singing and it, and it's a montage of Elvis songs, but in the background you hear like little riffs from very modern songs. Like you hear one bar of toxic from by Britney Spears. You hear one bar of Backstreet's Back. And like the whole point of that, I think, I'm I'm having to sort of interpret Baz Luhrmann's mind here, but I think the point of that is to show like I think that's an extension of where this movie like shows Elvis getting his music from black artists. That's showing how Elvis is um 
influence is felt even today on modern music. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, 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 I would say inherently part of the movie's themes. And it's kind of cool how they, they don't have to spell it out for us. Um, then mm-hmm. that he is using like those musical cues to kind of maybe give us hints of that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's, to me, it's like something I kind of wish they might have gone into further if they had time. Uh, but yeah, then speaking of the, the music though, like there, there were moments I thought were odd where, cause the movie has like its own soundtrack with modern artists mm-hmm. and there's a couple moments where it's put into the soundtrack and it just sounds so weird. It's the same thing with the great Gatsby with the, like hearing Jay-Z and Kanye, uh, over the great Gatsby, like. Uh, scenes it was kind of the same thing here hearing doja cat do like an elvis remix um Mm -hmm. in an elvis biopic just felt kind of weird like i'd rather just hear elvis songs if that makes sense um but yeah it was a i think that's just something baz lerman might kind of like to do it's his thing it's definitely yeah he definitely like throws in all this modern music and like i have it it's weird. It's a weird element of his style. I personally kind of love it, but like no one else would do that. Like it's yeah. it's a very strange thing to see in in movies like this. Yeah. Um was, what was the other There's one more thing. Oh, the I guess the the full kind of like the destruction of his marriage too was like very kind of shoved aside at the end um that was something i I might have been more interested in seeing but the movie kind of passes over that and kind of like you can kind of fill in the gaps for yourself but i think that was a problem where like elvis didn't feel connected enough to the people around him um Mm -hmm. to really feel any like emotions when those relationships eventually collapsed like, again, with, like, the mom, I didn't really feel anything when his mom died because the movie passes over it so quickly. Um, same thing when his marriage is broken up. I didn't really feel much in those scenes either. I think that might be, like, that's the biggest flaw of this movie. And it's hard for me to talk about how you would correct it because what this movie, this movie is very good at showing the story that it wants to tell. The problem is the story that it wants to tell is an incomplete story. Like we don't get, like you said, we don't get those um, relationships with Elvis's, like with Elvis's mom, with Elvis's um, wife. We don't get those relationships as deeply as we could because the way the movie wants to tell it, it's not the focus. And if it was the focus, then, well, that would be its own movie, um, which this movie is not. And this movie, like, it goes so fast because the main thing at the center of this movie is his relationship with Colonel Tom Parker, which is a relationship that happens over 20 years, and we have to cover those whole 20 years. But then, like, when he spends, uh, I think it's two years in Germany, they just sort of skip through that as quickly as they can. Uh, When he's doing pretty good in the fifties, they just sort of skip through that when he's got an, when he's got a career in Hollywood, it's like, and he had a career in Hollywood and it went great. Bam, skipped through. We're on to the next thing. And like, it works for what this movie wants to do. But the problem is there's so much stuff here 
that the movie either expects you to already know or is like, well, that's not really the purpose of this. So we'll get back here another time. Some other director will handle that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's just it tries to do so much that not enough feeling is given to anything. Except for I, I guess the like the the colonel. I the the biggest thing that really hit me was I guess the the kind of watching how Elvis got manipulated to basically death by the colonel at the very end. Um, and that was, that was a really tough thing to watch. I think, uh, mm-hmm. cause there, there's that point where he, instead of going on his worldwide tour that he's always dreamed of, he ends up performing in Vegas for five years. Um, and I thought that was, I mean, even like, cause that is, I guess that is technically what happened. He, he stayed in Vegas, um, in real life mm-hmm. too. That's like a fact. Um, it just made so little sense to me and like but again it's like that's just what Elvis did and it's hard to kind of skip over that but I really wish we kind of maybe dug into that more I think that could have been a movie on itself honestly mm-hmm. um, you know having a his his comeback the third act be his comeback and um, I guess his life in Vegas performing in front in, in the same hotel for five years um, but yeah I, I just felt very like claustrophobic watching it like and just kind of dread because I could tell what was happening to him and uh you know and I think so that's when the movie really delivered was that relationship between the colonel and Elvis not so much like their personal relationship but like um how Elvis as a person kind of lost it all Mm -hmm. so I thought that was like probably my favorite the most interesting part for me yeah yeah um do we have anything else do you have anything else to like say about this movie i think i'm about done uh maybe just i just want to mention like when when i said maximus i think the biggest thing was the editing the this movie is like (laughs) i remember people saying bohemian rhapsody should just deserve the one best editing because it just had straight up the most editing of a movie to do and i think this far surpassed or surpasses bohemian rhapsody and just amount of raw editing they had to do there's so many different like angles and cuts and like weird stuff going on and it's a two like a two hour 40 minute movie um and yeah not many scenes linger so like it was it was a lot yeah but at least in this case i felt like that was part of baz Luhrmann's style like baz Luhrmann's movies are always like that (laughs) where with bohemian rhapsody i think the thing that the thing that bothers me about the editing in Bohemian Rhapsody is it feels like someone trying to hold a clay pot together with tape. With this one, it feels like... It was on purpose. It feels like it was on purpose. I don't know a good metaphor, but yeah, it feels like it was at least on purpose this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't really have much else to say. It was a, it was an enjoyable movie to watch. Um, probably not something um, I'd want to watch again. What would you, uh, what would you, what would you give this one? I'd say like a seven. I think so too. I think for me, it really dies out at the end. And I think as you've, as you already kind of said, or I don't know if you said it exactly like this, but it kind of, I kind of think that the ending being so slow and claustrophobic is kind of the point. Like, I think that's intentional from Baz Luhrmann, 
but it's still such a bummer after two hours and 20 minutes of just fast paced, go, 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 go. Like if you're into that, you will not be into the very end. Yeah. And if you're not into the first part, then you probably exploded halfway through because it's so much stimulus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder um, if that was, but I mean, I guess it's just impressive that despite like such a slow ending, usually I feel like endings make the movie. Um, and in this case, I feel like the, the, the first two hours are good enough so that the ending, even though it is a lot slower, really make up for it. The, this isn't really a spoiler, but the very, very, very ending of this movie. I guess I'm going to spoil the very ending of this movie. I do not think this is a spoiler, though. The very ending, like the last five minutes of the movie, are uh, are archived footage of Elvis. And I thought that was a really, really, really bad decision. Mm. To yeah, end I... the movie on archive footage was really disappointing to me. Uh, well, can you say why first before I say anything? So I think that um, because the ending of the movie is like the end, it's it includes his last performance, but it's archive footage of that last performance. And it's cool that that archive footage exists. We can go back and watch that archive footage. That's sick. But if we're going to compare this to Bohemian Rhapsody for a second, and this is where I'm going to actually praise Bohemian Rhapsody, the ending of Bohemian Rhapsody is the Live Aid concert, and they remade that concert with the actors. And, like, I think that's a much better approach because, like, if I've been sitting here with Elvis, with Austin Butler's Elvis for two and a half hours, don't, don't switch, like, don't switch to a different Elvis at the end. I want to just, like, see Austin, but I want to see Austin Butler's Elvis where he would be at that time doing his last performance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see real Elvis because I've been watching not real Elvis. I don't want to suddenly, like, get redirected to someone else giving who I actually don't care about because I haven't been following this guy. I've been following, you know, fake Elvis for a while. <laughs> Give me more, like... It, it sounds weird to say it that way, but I want to finish off the movie with the actual, with, with the performance I've been seeing, right? It's almost like it's robbing Austin Butler of the opportunity to sell that last bit, in my opinion. And whether Austin Butler feels the same way or not, I think it's disappointing as an audience member that it like switches over to something else out of like right at the end. Mm, yeah, I can... I mean, I guess it didn't bother me enough to, like, really make me, like, annoyed with the with it at all. But, like, I do remember thinking, like, when I saw the real Elvis, I was like, oh, wait. It kind of it kind of brought me out of the moment. Because, like, oh, wait, like, yeah. Austin Butler doesn't look anything like Elvis. And I just kind of assumed he did during the movie, right? And it kind of yeah. broke my immersion. Um, and and uh, like, I guess it helped me remind myself that it was a movie which i guess in some cases is good because again, like we said earlier this is a movie it's not like it's not a retelling of events um mm -hmm. in any way but then also like it, it ruins the immersion of what you experienced and then a lot yeah of it really does yeah and and uh, like i think this movie does so well in immersing me in its world for so much of the movie that it's really jarring when there's something that immersion breaking at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. I, it, it, it does kind of feel out of character for Baz to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the only the only reason I can think of is that he wanted to pay tribute to the like the he might have seen this as like a love letter to Elvis, um, because he might have been a big fan of Elvis, so he wanted to include like, some some footage of him just to like pay more homage. To but see, that's Elvis. where because I think of like other directors who do that. Like Spike Lee is really good at using archive footage, uh, which I is. I don't know. It's it's weird. Spike Lee's really good at it. I don't think Spike Lee would necessarily make an Elvis movie I would want to see, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, like, other movies I can think of, they have archive footage, like, over the credits, and that's what keeps you staying in the credits, because it's like, oh, well, let's, like, see what... Let's compare Austin Butler to this now. Now that the movie's over, it's okay for the immersion to be broken. Let's see what's going on. But, like, putting it in before the credits... I think is a weird move, if nothing else. Mm. And like, I I don't see Baz Luhrmann as the kind of guy who would do like, I don't know. I just don't see him as the kind of guy who uses archive footage. It's really strange. Mm, but then, yeah. um, you know, if he's gonna do that, I think that like, w- that's where he should be a more standard director and put his archive footage over the credits because, you know, it 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 ruins his style or like it's, it's so we it's so counter to his style to have like someone else's work mm-hmm. at, bef- at the end of his, at the end of his movie. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. I see what you mean. Don't do that next um, time, Baz. Yeah, Baz, stop it. Stop. <laughs> um, so now, uh, in, a, in an upcoming episode, I want to, like, return to this question. But just because I mentioned it earlier on, what do you think? Do you think this movie is going to have, like, an enduring legacy? Do you think this is... Do you think we have watched a future classic? No. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I, I think, um, like, I, th- I feel like Austin Butler's performance might be regarded in a, a good light and might get him a lot of roles in the future. Um, but I don't really see this as like a, a truly shocking or like culture shifting movie at all. Um, because it, I don't know, it's just, it's still kind of like a movie to me. Like it doesn't really bring anything new to the table that we haven't really seen from Baz Luhrmann. Um, it just, for, for me, all, all this movie does like as a whole is kind mm-hmm. of pay tribute to Elvis and remind people of of who he was and what he did. Um, which, mm-hmm. again, like that's what you and me didn't know before that. So I, th- I like it for that. Um, but that's not really something I would say is like, gives a movie a classic notion, right? Like when people think I of think, this movie, they're yeah. more likely to go think of Elvis, the person, instead. Yeah. Rather than the experience of watching that, this movie. Sorry. I think that maybe like, if if there were such a thing as like a lesser classic maybe cuz like i think that in in very specific contexts this movie has a long life like when people look back at the career of austin butler if austin butler goes on to become a huge actor this is going to be not only his big break this this straight up might be his oscar performance but like this is a huge moment in austin butler's career and I think it's a pretty big moment in Baz Luhrmann's too. 
if only for the reason, like, even if that's only for the reason that this is the biopic that Baz Luhrmann did. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, I think that in those contexts, this is definitely a movie with a long shelf life. And even beyond that, I think that this is a movie that has, that's going to be looked back on fondly in comparison to the wash of other biopics that we've seen around this time. Yeah. Like when people look back on 2022, uh, I think that there will be, I think that people are going to remember Elvis. Mm -hmm. I actually can't even remember the year that Bohemian Rhapsody came out. So like, you know, by comparison to other biopics, I think this is going to stand out as one that stands the test of time a little bit better than other ones. I don't think Mm. this is necessarily, this is not Batman and Robin. We're not going to be talking about this one in 20 years, you know, the same way we talk about Batman and Robin now. No. Batman and Robin is a weird pick for an all-time classic, but, but I But you're not wrong. Right. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we got one more episode next week and then we probably have another episode after that and maybe one after that too. Wow. I guess it's crazy. Are we talking about Thor next? Yeah, we're going to talk about Thor next. Thor so, Love and Thunder. Yes. To be clear. That's interesting. I'm I'm excited for that one. Yeah, it'll be a it should be a fun watch. Hopefully. All right. What's the last word, Pierre? Thunder. <laughs>